Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Our sermon series through the book Song of Solomon that we're calling The Bible's Guide to a Better Marriage. My name is Byron. If you're watching online, thank you so much for tuning in and joining us today. Go ahead and do me a favor for the rest of our team who's here in the room. Go ahead, everybody, let's do it at the same time. Let's pull out our phone. Let's go ahead and click share, tag a friend in the comments, invite them to join you because today is going to be the most practical out of all of the sermons in Song of Solomon. Today, what I want to do is I want to give you three simple statements that if you remember these and apply them to your relationships, I guarantee you, your marriage or relationship will get better. 100% money back guarantee and church is free. So you get what you pay for. But I tell you that if you do these three things, then your marriage will in fact get better. But before we do that, I've been hearing from a lot of people that Song of Solomon is an incredible series. Are you guys loving the Song of Solomon series? You guys loving it? It's been incredible for us to study. But one thing that I've heard is that it's a little hard to interpret the text for yourself. Like you'll come to church and you'll hear it and you think, oh, okay, that makes sense. But then you go home and read Song of Solomon and you're like, what is he saying to his wife? That's crazy. Because in one verse, he says, baby, you look like a horse. Now, men... I would not suggest you say that to your wives. Don't go and tell your wife that she looks like a horse. Last week, he said, I compare your belly to a heap of wheat. Ladies don't like having their bellies compared to anything. Don't do that. But I will tell you, it is actually very romantic. It is very beautiful. In fact, it is ancient 3,000-year-old Hebrew poetry. So for us in the 21st century, it may not make a lot of sense. So I wanted to teach you how to love the Bible. And so we came up with what we call the Redemption Standard Version. We brought it up to date. It's in the 21st century. Century, and maybe this will help you understand it. So one of my favorite sections in Song of Solomon is in chapter two, where he says, your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Now you hear that and you're like, uh, that doesn't make any sense. Because if you don't have the mountains of Gilead behind you, then it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So I wanted to give you the redemption standard version. We modernized it, we updated it. And, and here's what it would read. He says, your eyes, they are like, normally he would say they're like doves. You think that's romantic. Oh, that's so sweet. Your eyes are like doves. But let's give us the redemption standard version. Your eyes, they are like a brand new 72 inch flat screen TV. I could binge watch those eyes all day long. Amen. How about this one? Instead of your hair is like a flock of goats, let's say it like your hair is like hot fudge brownies floating down three scoops of bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream. You're like that. That is good. Amen. Your teeth are like Amazon Prime two day delivery and not one package among them is missing. 
It's because she has all of her teeth. You get it. How about your lips are as smooth as the drive through line at Chick-fil-A? My pleasure. Your neck is like a beachfront Airbnb on Galveston Island. You get it? Because they're all on stilts. It's really tall, really strong. Okay. Not one, that one's not as good. Okay. How about this one? Your temples are like fresh cut, thick applewood smoked bacon. All the men said, amen. And this one's my favorite. Your two breasts. I don't know why I do that with my hands when I say that. Your two breasts, they are like two for 20 of chilies, an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert. I, I know where I'm going tonight. I'm going to chilies. Well, my baby back, baby. Until the day, until the day breathes into the shadows flee, I will go away to Target and I will climb the hills of the essential oils. Oh, isn't that amazing? Hey, that is the redemption standard version. But in all honesty, I really do love being able to preach the Bible. My greatest joy in life is to be Ashley's husband, the daddy to two beautiful, amazing little girls, and to be your pastor and to preach the Bible. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to study it for real today. Go ahead and turn with me to Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 11. The song title today is called Give You My Love. We're going to talk about three simple things that if you remember these three things and then you apply them to your life, I guarantee you, your marriage or relationship will in fact get better. And here's the three things. I'm gonna tell them to you up front, okay? The first one is this. If you think something fun, do it. Especially right now during COVID-19, it's so important for us to prioritize fun in our lives. So the first one is this. If you think something fun, do it. The second one is, if you think something nice, say it. And the last one is, if you want something different, be it. Let's all just go ahead and say that together as a church. If you think something fun, do it. Type it in the comments. If you think something nice, say it. And if you want something different, be it. The first thing we're going to see is that they're going to do it. No, they're going to have some fun. That's what they're going to do. They're going to have some fun. Pick it up in 7-Eleven. This is so important. Here's what she says. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. What is she saying? She's saying, let's get away. Let's just take a moment to ourselves. Let's go on vacation. Let's go on a date. Let's go out into the villages. Let's get us a nice little bed and breakfast. Let's hire a babysitter. Let's farm out the kids, turn off the TV, turn off the laptop, take a break. Let's you and me just get away. This is so incredibly important to have fun, especially right now in the middle of COVID-19. People are probably stressed or worried. People are anxious at this moment, and not a lot of people are having a whole lot of fun. It's important for us to prioritize fun when it comes to our relationships. Maybe you're stressed about work. Maybe you're stressed about your bills. Maybe you're stressed about finances. Maybe you're a little worried about church reopening. Maybe you're nervous about what's going to happen when the kids go back to school, and you have all of the pressure, all of the hurry, all the worry on your shoulders. And then what happens is that begins to manifest in your marriage and it robs you of your fun. That's why you need to prioritize fun when it comes to your relationship. She says, let's just get away. Let's just hit pause. Let's just take a moment and let's invest in ourselves. You got to have fun. So here's what she says. She says, let's go have fun. Let us go out early in the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grapes, uh, the blossoms, have opened and whether the pomegranates are in bloom. They're going to have some fun. And as we see in the next verse, 
They're going to do it. There I will give you my love. Woo. Hashtag, that's in the Bible. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth the fragrance. And beside our door is all of the choices, fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, oh my beloved. If you think something fun, what are you going to do? You're going to do it. One of the things that I encourage couples all the time is that they need to do exactly what Song of Solomon tells us. That Solomon and his wife, the Shulamite woman, they go out on a vacation. Now, many people say, but I can't afford to take a vacation. Listen, I get it. I understand. But let me just tell you this. You can't afford not to take a vacation. You say, but I can't afford to take a break. Listen, you cannot afford to not take a break because if you don't learn to take a break, life will break you. You need to learn to invest in having fun in a relationship. And it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be some crazy five-night cruise to the Riviera. You don't have to rent your own private island. You don't have to go climb a mountain or go to Disney World. You don't have to do those things. It could be something very simple and very practical. It could be going on a road trip to see a friend you haven't seen in a few years. It could be getting a nice little bed and breakfast. It could be even just getting one night alone at the Elegante Hotel. That's what me and Ashley do. Every year before the anniversary or the grand opening of Redemption Church, me and Ashley, we rent a hotel room at the Elegante Hotel. Just a moment for us to get away. Because when we were planting the church, it was a lot of stress. There was a lot of worry. When we were reopening for this building, we raised $100,000 in just a few months. We renovated the entire thing along with our team. This was all just an empty warehouse when we got it. And then by God's grace and your generosity, we turned this old warehouse into our new home. And we were stressed, we were tired, and we were very disconnected. And so we actually just got a hotel room at the Elegante Hotel. And there, Ashley, she gave me her love. And you know what I did in return? I gave her a baby. That's exactly right. Our daughter, Ruth, <laughs> our daughter, Ruth, was actually conceived on vacation. In fact, both of our daughters were conceived on a vacation. So y'all be praying for us because next week we're going on vacation. <laughs> So we might come back with a baby. I don't know. We'll grow the church the fun way, right? Either way, we're still going to grow this church. Amen. <laughs> it's so important for you to take time to spend time with one another. And it doesn't have to be crazy. But many people would say, I, I, I don't have the time to do that. I, I, I can't do that. Listen, if your life is anything like mine, yeah, you, you just can't seem to find the time. That we're worried, we're stressed, and life just comes at us 100 miles an hour. I don't know what your day looks like. But if your day looks anything like mine, then it's probably pretty busy. I'll just give you the, the normal routine for my day. I wake up early in the morning and I get up, I make some coffee, and then I go for a run. By the time I finish my run in the morning, I come home, the girls are awake, Ashley's up, we make breakfast, we, we, we have prayer time, we read our Bible, we pray over one another. After breakfast is finished, I'm out the door and I'm at work around eight o'clock. I don't get home until after 5.30. As soon as I walk in the door, all of a sudden Ashley's like, oh, thank you, you're home. I can take a break because she's a stay-at-home mom and then all of a sudden I go to work and I'm the dad now. And so now I'm taking care of the kids. Ashley's getting some self-care time. And then all of a sudden dinner is ready. We feed the kids. And there's a whole argument in that because we're eating one thing and they're like, I want chicken nuggets and I want a burrito and I want pizza. And we're like, okay. So we figure all that out. Finally, we get them fed. And then now it's time for bath. 
and then we give them a bath. And the two girls, they, they take a bath and they're playing. And then after bath time, then it's bedtime. So we rock them and we read them a Bible story and we pray for them. And then Esther's like, oh, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and I want some cheese. And here's all the reasons why I can't go to sleep. And then she finally lays down. And then 10 minutes later, she's up hiding under the couch again. So I had to go get her, bring her back upstairs, tuck her in. Finally, the girls are down. The day is done. It's after nine o'clock and it's already 10 minutes past my bedtime. And then we just collapse in the bed, tired. Okay, how many of your, your life is kind of like that? Listen, it's hard to build a better marriage when you're only getting 30 minutes to maybe an hour together. And if you do that over a long enough period of time without being connected, you're gonna grow disconnected. This is why it's so important for you to go on vacation and for you to go on dates because it's an opportunity for you to connect face-to-face -face with one another. People say, I can't afford to. I would tell you, you can't afford not to. People tell me, they say, if I could only find the time to do this, I would love to be able to spend more time with my spouse. I would love to be able to spend more time together. I would love to be able to spend time and do these things. How many of you just can't seem to find the time? The truth is we don't find time. We make it. That you make time for the things that you love to do. The truth is we don't find time. If you're looking for time, you're never going to find it. But if you make time, there's always going to be time left over. We all have 24 hours in a day, seven days a week. We've all been given 169 hours out of the week. We don't find time, we make time. Because if we're looking to find time, the moment you get any free time, what do you do? You fill it up with something else. The moment you get any free time, you're like, oh, thank you. And then you turn on the TV and then you veg out and then you just basically, you don't connect with one another because you fill your time with things that aren't investing in the relationship. The truth is we do not find time. The truth is we make time. If you want your marriage to get better, you gotta make some time. If you think something fun, then do it. Life is too short for you to not enjoy it. If you think something fun, then you need to make that a priority in your life and you need to do it. Have fun together. The other day was Ashley's birthday. What I wanna do is take her out on, on a dinner date. And so we hired a babysitter and we took her out on a date. And after we ate, not at Chili's, but after we ate, <laughs> she had a birthday Starbucks gift card so she could get a free drink. And so we're like, okay, let's just go to Starbucks. And so we went to Starbucks. We planned that we're just gonna sit there for the evening and we're just gonna talk. I didn't bring my phone in or anything like that. Just leave it in the car. Guys, just a note, turn your phone off, turn your wife on, that's how it works. So I just put my phone in the car and we went to Starbucks and Starbucks was closed. They closed at seven o'clock that day. And we had to sit her until 10. And so I'm like, well, what am I gonna do? I got three hours with nowhere to go and nothing to do. So I decided I'll now have something fun. I drove her all the way to Baytown just to get her her Starbucks drink. And the whole way that we're driving to Baytown, we are listening to music and she is playing the greatest showman soundtrack and she is singing at the top of her lungs. And I'm like, this is kind of annoying, but hey, she loves it. She loves it, okay? And then eventually she was like, oh, Byron's not enjoying these musicals that I'm singing along to. And so then we put it on 80s hair metal and we were rocking out the whole way back home. It was incredible. It was a great day and it didn't cost us anything because the Starbucks drink was free. But it was so important for us to do something fun together. Listen, I, I want you to know that you don't find time in your marriage. 
especially if you have kids, if you're in college, if you work, whatever it is, you will never find time. So you have to make time for one another. So the first thing is this. If you think something's fun, what are you going to do? You're going to do it. The second one is very similar. It says, if you think something nice, then say it. So the first one is, if you think something special or if you think something fun, do it. The second one is, if you think something nice, say it. Here's what she says. Oh, that you were like a brother to me. That's weird. I thought they were married. I am not going to make a Buna joke. Oh, that you were like a brother to me. I'll explain that. Who nursed at my mother's breasts. Still weird. If I found you outside, I would kiss you and no one would despise me. Now, if you're a single guy and a girl tells you this, that's not very nice. Like if a girl tells you, oh, I love you like a brother. You're like, oh man, friend zones, right? If a girl says, oh, you're just like a brother to me. You're like, oh, got me, right? If she says, kissing you is like kissing my brother. You'd be like, how do you know? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Church should be fun, amen? We have some fun preaching the Bible here at Redemption, Okay. That's not a really nice thing to say to a guy, but if you're married, this is actually one of the best things that your wife will ever say to you. And here's, here's the reason why. Because what she is doing is she is honoring him publicly. She is saying something nice about him publicly. Ladies, if you want to do something really special for your husband, honor him publicly. See, in that day, public display of affection was not a thing. Right? You couldn't hold hands in public. You couldn't kiss in public. Couldn't show any signs of affection in public. You know, when you're walking down the mall and you see that couple who, you know, put their hands in the other person's back pocket, right? You couldn't do that. You probably still shouldn't do that. That's still kind of a little weird, so please knock that off. But either way, there was no signs of public display of affection. What she's saying is this. I wish you were my brother because when we're in public, I want to tell everyone how much I love you. When we're in public, I just, I'm so proud of you. When we're in public, I want to kiss you. I want to hold your hand just looking at you. It just makes my heart melt. Publicly, I want to honor you. Ladies, if you want to do something really special for your husband, honor, honor him publicly. Brag on your husband. Speak positive about your husband. Say something nice. Hey, my husband is great. My husband is the man. He is my Solomon, Solomon. Do something nice. Say something special to your husband publicly. We talked earlier in this ser series that you should never fight in public because that's weird and that's awkward. But what we should do is we should honor one another publicly. She is bragging on her husband. Now, men, you need to do the same thing to your wives too. Don't be going around at work talking negative and saying things that are criticizing or disparaging towards your wife. No, you want to honor her. You want to speak life into her. You want to say something nice. And if you can say something nice, you should say it. Now, if you can't say nothing nice, then don't say anything at all. Just keep your mouth shut. Okay. But if you think about something nice, say it. Never withhold a blessing from your spouse. Never miss an opportunity to speak life into your spouse. Never withhold a compliment for them. If you think something nice, then you need to say it. She is honoring him publicly. And then the next thing we see is she also honors him privately. Here's, here's what we read. I would lead you and bring you into the house of a mother, she who used to teach me, and I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. If you don't know what the pomegranate is, 
get married and you'll find it. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. If you think something nice, then you need to say it. Never withhold a blessing. Never miss an opportunity to be able to speak life into your spouse. If you think something nice, go ahead and say it, spray it, text it, email it, do a smoke signal if you have to, whatever it is. If you think something nice, say it, because here's what happens if you don't. If you don't say something nice, your spouse eventually will start thinking something negative because spiritual gifts are a real thing. Whenever you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit and God gives you supernatural spiritual gifts. We've done a whole sermon series earlier in the year about the spiritual gifts. And there's wonderful spiritual gifts, the gifts of service, the gift of helping, the gift of prophecy, the gifts of words of wisdom, words of knowledge. There's the gift of tongues, which is also very helpful for marriage. Amen. But the gift of reading minds is not, oh, now you got it, right? (laughs) The gift of reading minds is not a supernatural spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit. Your spouse cannot read your mind. I've done marriage counseling with, with, with a, a husband and a wife. And as we're doing marriage counseling, I'm talking to them and she's saying, he, he never compliments me. He never tells me that he loves me. He, he, never, he never is appreciative of me. And he said, I shouldn't have to tell you those things. I told you on the day we got married. When I said, I do, I meant it. So that's not enough. You got to keep telling me that you do every single day. You can't just give her a compliment when Bush was president. And now here we are 16 years later. And you thought, oh, I thought that was good enough. No, you got to keep saying it every single day. If you think something nice, say it. Because if you don't say it, your spouse won't know it. And then eventually they won't feel it. If you don't say it, your spouse won't know it, and then eventually they won't feel it. If you're not telling your spouse how appreciative of them you are, they won't know that you're appreciative, and then they won't feel appreciated. If you don't tell your wife how beautiful she is, then she won't know that she's beautiful, and then she won't feel beautiful. If you don't tell your husband how beautiful he is, that's actually kind of weird. Guys don't really like being told they're beautiful. How radiant and ruddy they are, then he won't know he's ruddy, then he won't be ready because he don't know that he is ruddy. You gotta be speaking life into them because if you don't say it, then they won't know it and then eventually they won't feel it. You wanna say what it is that you're thinking. You wanna say something nice. And I wanna give you a tip. Something that me and Ashley have been doing at home throughout all of Song of Solomon. And I wanted to save it for this marriage, uh, this sermon about marriage, because I really think it's going to be helpful for you. It's not easy. It's very difficult. It's not easy to do. But I can tell you that if you apply this to your relationship, it, it will actually get better. Do not tell your spouse that you love them. I know what you're thinking. You just said, if you think something nice, say it. Now you're telling me, don't tell my spouse that I love them. No, no, no. Don't tell them that you love them. But point one was have some fun, do it. Now you're telling me not to do it. Point two was nice, say it. And now you're telling me not to say it. Yes, I know. But do not tell your spouse that you love them. Or should I say, don't just tell them that you love them. Tell them why you love them. Here's what we've been trying to do. We try to say, I love you because, and then fill in the blank. Try this at home. Say, I love you because, and then fill in the blank. See, it's so easy for us to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. 
Hey, Ashley, you're watching online. I love you. It's so easy for us to say, I love you. We probably say that dozens of times every single day, don't we? When you wake up in the morning, oh, I love you. When you're leaving for work, love you. Text him in the afternoon, love you. Love you in the morning, love you evening. Skidamarinky-dinky-doo, I love you. It's so easy for us just to say, I love you, to where eventually it just kind of loses the meaning behind it. And so me and Ashley have been doing this. I love you because, and then fill in the blank. I love you because you make me laugh. I love you because you said yes, and every single day you keep saying yes. I love you because you're the best mom in the whole wide world. I love you because you are a spiritual leader in our home. I love you because whenever we are together, it is so much fun. I love you because you drove to Baytown just to get me a cup of coffee. I love you because you put the family before your career. I love you because you snort when you laugh. I love you because I just love you so much. I love you because. Doesn't that mean a little more than just simply saying, I love you? See, if you think something nice, then you want to say it. Say this, I love you because, and then fill in the blank. Now, immediately, this is the part in the sermon where people are probably thinking, Byron, that sounds really nice. I would love to be able to say, I love you because, but you don't know what my marriage is like. You don't know what my life is like. You don't know who I'm dating. You don't know who I'm with. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know. Actually, I do know because I've been there. Me and Ashley, we've been married 12 years. We've been there. We've been through thick and thin. We've been through hell. We've been through all of these things. I know, I get it. I've been there. And you know what? We're probably gonna be there again. Maybe a little bit after this sermon. I don't know, but we're probably going to get there again. I understand it because not only am I a pastor, but I'm also a person. That's why we're not calling this series The Byron's Guide to a Better Marriage because you don't need The Byron's Guide, right? Ashley is the only one who can put up with me. You don't need The Byron's Guide to a Better Marriage. You need The Bible's Guide to a Better Marriage. I get it. I've been there throughout this whole series. I've been learning at the same rate and pace that you guys are learning at the same time. The week that I taught over fighting that day when I got home, guess what? We got in a fight. True story. The week I taught over sex, guess what? That night, we didn't have sex. True story. Don't raise your hand, but you're like, oh, thank God my pastor is a real person. It's true. It's true. I've been there. I get it. I understand. I know it too. But the Bible actually has some principles that if we apply to our lives, it will actually help our marriage get better. And so here's what I encourage couples with all the time. The first one is this. Write it down because it's very important. If you don't like what you're getting, then watch what you're giving. If you don't like what you're getting, then watch what you're giving. In fact, this is what Jesus teaches in Mark 4.24. This is my favorite Bible verse. Ashley has it memorized because I say it all the time. If you're on our staff or team, you've probably heard me teach this a thousand times. Mark 4.24. This is what Jesus says. With the measure you use, it will be what? Measured unto you. And still more will be added. For the one who has, more will be given. But the one who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. What does that mean? You get out of it what you put into it. You reap what you sow. In verse 12, she says, I will give you my love. If you're giving your spouse your love, guess what they're going to give you in return? Love. 
If you're giving your spouse joy, guess what they're gonna give you in return? Joy. If you're giving your spouse your effort, your intentionality, if you're giving them your heart, if you're giving them your hope, if you're giving them your devotion, if you are lovingly, humbly, sacrificially serving towards them with the measure you use, it will be measured back unto you. The one who has more will be given. But if you're giving them a hard time, guess what they're gonna give you? A hard time. If you're giving them difficulty, guess what they're gonna give you? Difficulty back. If you're giving negativity, guess what you're gonna get in return? Negativity. But here's where Jesus really flips everything upside down on his head. Not only is it sowing and reaping, but it's also uh, about a, a, a measure that God gives above and beyond. See, it's not, just, it's not just a measure that you use. He says, more will be given to you. Do you want more love in your marriage? Then love your spouse more. Do you want your spouse to be more serving and kind and generous? Then you gotta sow that seed of serving because the more you serve, the more will be given back unto you. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So if you're not serving, guess what? The marriage ain't gonna be it better. If you aren't humbly leading, then guess what? It's not gonna get better because even the little bit that you have, over time, it will be taken away. This is why so many couples become so distant and detached from one another and why divorce is so prevalent in our society because what little measure they have, when they don't use it, it gets taken away from them. If you don't like what you're getting, watch what you're giving. The second one is this. If you don't like what you're seeing, then watch what you're saying. Here's what Proverbs would say. Solomon writes this. He says that life and death are in the power of the tongue and those who love it eat its fruits. Here she says, the juice of my pomegranate, that is life. That is the fruit. She's talking about, I'm gonna give you life. I'm gonna speak life into you for seven entire chapters. We're in chapter eight now. All they've been doing is complimenting one another, speaking life into one another. Have they said anything negative about each other in all of Song of Solomon? No, he's like, you look like a horse. Your hair looks like goats. Like that's a nice thing to say. 3000 years ago, he's speaking life into her. Even when they get in a fight, they asked her, they said, what's wrong with him? He says, I don't know. His arms are like gold and his legs are based on alabaster columns. My beloved is radiant and ruddy. I don't even know what ruddy means, but when Ashley says it, I'm ready. They're speaking life into one another. Even in the middle of their fight, they're still speaking life into that relationship. If you don't like what you're seeing, then you need to watch what you're saying. If you're being critical, then it's gonna be hard for them to be able to be responding with love. If you're always nagging, guess what? It's gonna be hard for them to respond with love. If you're always negative, then negativity will be all that you see. And if you're looking around at your marriage and all you see is the negative, then maybe you need to start saying something nice. Speak life into that marriage. You wanna, you wanna see what you're given if you don't like what you're given. And then also, if you don't like what you're seeing, you need to begin to watch what you're saying. Now, for you men, as we're studying through Song of Solomon, if you want your wife to be like this woman, you need to understand something. You gotta talk to her the way Solomon talks to his wife. Because every, inside of every single woman, there is a Shulamite woman. That this is the way that God intends, this is God's blessing, design, ultimate purpose for women, is that they would be strong, they would be confident, they would be secure, and they would be loved. This woman is inside of every single woman. And so as a husband, it's our job 
to call that out, to bring out the Shulamite woman inside all of our wives. The world is so demanding. The world is so attacking the identity of women. The world works in a way that oppresses and that puts women down and they feel very insecure. They should not feel that way around you. You should be a man that speaks it to your wife in such a way where she flourishes, where she feels loved, where she feels valued, where she feels cherished, where she can be free. You have to speak to your wife like she is the Shulamite woman that God has created her to be. But for you ladies, you also need to recognize that there is a Solomon inside your man too that God has placed a Solomon inside every single man, a man with wisdom, a man with strength, a man with valor, a man with courage. He is inside your husband, and it's your job to draw that Solomon man out by the way that you speak to him. So one of the things that I hear a lot is, I wish that my husband would, would, would be more emotionally present in the home. Well, when he is emotionally present, you need to speak life into that. So when he's with the kids, you say, you say, you're so great with the kids. And then all of a sudden he's like, you know what? I am pretty great with those kids. And then he's going to start doing that more and more and more because it's going to build him up. If you want your husband to be more of a spiritual leader in your house, don't be like, you can't pray your way out of a wet paper bag. Don't do that. Because then he's not going to feel confident. And men don't like feeling dumb or bad at a job that they're doing. And so they just won't simply do it. So if you want to see your husband become more of a spiritual leader in your home, you got to speak life into him. So next time he's praying over family dinner, you'd be like, oh, baby, when you prayed over that turkey dinner, oh, I felt the Shekinah glory come into the dining room. Oh, the manifest presence of God was there. Oh, it was so good. Oh, when you pray like that, I'll tell you what, he'll want to pray more. Talk to him like that. When he reads the Bible, you say, oh, you pronounce those big words. <laughs> like, you know what they mean. You say that to him. He'd be like, uh-huh, eschatology, baby. Be like, woo, say it again, eschatology, woo. You talk to him like that, I'll tell you what, he'll be that man. See, this is the same thing that I do for you every Sunday when you come to church. When you come to church on Sunday, I don't tell you everything that you've done wrong. I tell you who you can become. When you come into church, when you walk through those doors on a Sunday morning, when you log in on Redemption Online, I know you've messed up this week. I know you made mistakes this week. I made them too. I know that not everybody's perfect. I know that you come in here with your shoulders down and your head hung low. And when we come to church, I don't sit there and say, you all a bunch of filthy sinners, terrible. You need to burn in hell. I don't say that to you. You know what I do? I don't tell you what you've done. I tell you what Jesus has done. I don't tell you where you were. I tell you where God wants you to be. I tell you who you could become. I tell you about life change through Jesus, that you don't have to be who you used to be. You could be made a new creation in Christ Jesus. I tell you who God wants you to be. And inside of every single one of you, there is a Solomon or there is a Shulamite woman. And it's our job as husbands and wives to draw that out of our spouse. If you don't like what you're seeing, then watch what you're saying. Speak life into one another. If you think something fun, what are you going to do? You're going to do it. If you think something nice, what are you going to do? You're going to say it, which leads to the third point. If you want something different, then you need to be it. 
If you want something different, then you need to be it. Listen to what it says here. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Who is that coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree, I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. She who bore you was in labor with you. If you want something different, then you need to be it. And here's where I want to really encourage you is that your marriage can in fact get better. It can, but your marriage can only be as good as you both want it to be. If you want your marriage to be better, guess what? Then we need to be better ourselves. You be the difference. Instead of demanding that your spouse be better, you be better. For you husbands, instead of demanding your wife to get better, you get better. For you ladies, instead of demanding that your husband is the one who changed, no, you change because your marriage can only be as good as you both want it to be. You gotta put in the effort, you gotta put in the intentionality, and you have to be the one who is willing to be different. Your marriage can only be as good as you both want it to be. And here's what I've been telling you the entire sermon series, three things to make your marriage better. Do y'all know what the three things are? I've said them every single week. You could type them in the comments if you want. Three things. Number one, read your Bible together. Number two, pray together. Not four, pray together. Pray together. And then number three, go to church together. It takes both of you doing those things together. See, it can only be as good as you both want it to be. That it takes both of you praying both of you reading your Bible, both of you attending church. And here's what happens when you do those three things. When you pray together, then your relationship does get better because you're bringing your spouse before the Lord. Statistically, couples who pray together every single day, the divorce rate goes from one out of every two to one out of every 1,200. That's a statistical anomaly if you're the one and you probably weren't praying to the Lord Jesus right but it makes your marriage better. The, the second one is if you go to church together, just church attendance on a Sunday decreases the divorce rate by 35%. It can get better. And then just reading the Bible together, divorce rate drops from 50% to 15% when you read the Bible together. But your marriage can only be as good as you both want it to be. But here's the pushback that I've been getting through the series. And I love you and I know not everybody is doing these things. And here's where I, I get concerned for us, is that we're going to be held accountable for the knowledge that we have. And so as a, as a single person, you're learning in these things. You need to make a, a vow to yourself that when I get married, I'm gonna apply these principles to my life. But for those of us who are married, do you want your marriage to get better? Then do these things. It's just as simple as that. It can be as good as you want it to be. Do you want it to get better? then do these things. Read your Bible, go to church, and pray together. Your marriage can only be as good as you both want it to be. The way that Christian marriages are better is not because we are better people. It's because the way we live our lives is just different. See, we want to be the difference. We want to organize and prioritize our lives in ways that are different. If you want to be different, then there's some things that Christians just do. We read our Bibles, we pray, and we go to church. That's what we do. And if you want what everybody else has, then do what everybody else does. That your system that you are doing right now is designed to get the results that you're getting. If you don't like the results that you're getting, look at the system of your life that you're living. 
because the, the what you're getting is exactly the way that you are living. And so if you don't want what you're getting, then you need to change what you're doing and you need to be the one who is different, which leads again to point number three. If you want something different, be it. This is the climax of Song of Solomon, verse six. She's gonna tell us what love is. And it looks different than the way that the world would describe it. It looks different than the way that many of us understand it. It looks different than the way that many of our past relationships have been built on this kind of love. But when it comes to the Bible, the love that we read here in Song of Solomon, it looks different than what most of us have been taught. So I want to read it, and I want to give you seven things that love is, according to Song of Solomon. Here's what it says. It says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, and jealousy is as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are the flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it out. If a man offered for all of the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Next week, as we get ready to close Song of Solomon, next week's going to be the final sermon. After that, we're going to have a special message to minister to the couples who have been uh, people in our church who have been divorced. We're going to speak a special word into that. And then we're going to do a Q&A session with a few leaders in our church. And we're going to answer your questions that you have about dating, marriage, relationships, or anything that we have not had a chance to cover in Song of Solomon before we move into our new sermon series after this called We Are Redemption, which we're going to be talking about the life of the church and how you can get involved and you can make a difference. But next week, we're going to preach a sermon and it's really going to be ministering to the singles because all Song of Solomon series is just a whole bunch of things they can't do. (laughs) That's why she says here, do not awaken or arouse in love until it pleases. And all the singles are like, yeah, mm. one day I'll get to do that. (laughs) One day I'm going to go hunt some baby deers. One day I will find the pomegranate, but today ain't that day. Today is not that day because the question is not when is the time or where is the line? The question is when is the time and the time is for marriage. And so we're going to have a special sermon next week to be able to minister to the singles, give you a little bit wisdom for dating and some wisdom for being single. But let me just tell you this, that when it comes to marriage, we should all want something different than what the world has. When it comes to the dating scene, we should all want something different than what the world is giving us. When it comes to raising our kids, we should all want something different than what the world is giving us. I'll just be honest with you. I do not want my daughters to have what's normal. When I look around and I'm reading cultural commentaries, when I'm reading magazines, watching movies, I do not want my daughters to go through what is normal. I want them to have better than normal. I want them to have what God has best for their lives. When it comes to my marriage, I don't want normal. I want God's best for my marriage. When it comes to your marriage, I don't want you to have what's normal. I want you to have something different. I want you to have something better. When it comes to society, marriage is on hard times. Dating is is going in painful directions. People are hooking up, shacking up, breaking up, and there's a long line of heartbreaks and heartaches. When you see that half of people who get married eventually into divorce, when you see that 40% of kids are going to bed, 
without a father in the home, whenever alcohol sales are up, gun sales are up, antidepressants are the number one medication in America. Divorces are on the rise. When you look around at the cultural landscape, something is not working. And so as Christians, we need to be different. If you want what everybody else has, then what are you going to do? Just do what everybody else does. But if you want something different, then we need to be different. And what we're seeing here is the way that the Bible describes love is different than the way that many people assume that love is to be. As Christians, we're different. Some of y'all were teaching through Song of Solomon. You read verses like, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not awaken or arouse love until it pleases. And that's very different because you're raised in a culture where they told you just go ahead and awaken and arouse the love, whatever it pleases. And so you're reading this and you think it's different. Some of you grew up in very fundamentalist homes and you're hearing Song of Solomon as I'm teaching and you're like, that's very different. I never heard a pastor talk about sex in a way that you talk about it. I thought it was gross. And then you're telling me, no, 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 sex is a gift. That was week six. So we're looking at Song of Solomon and many of us were being challenged as we're studying marriage and dating and relationships. And you're realizing this is very different. How many of you realize when it comes to better marriages and dating and relationships, the way that the Bible describes love is very different than the way that the world describes love. And you know the reason why? Because as Christians, we are different. As Christians, we are different. The Bible calls us a peculiar people. That's because we are different. The way we organize our lives is different. The way that we plan our schedules is different. The way we spend our money, the way we steward, the way that we love one another is different because we've been loved with a love that is different. And that we don't base our love on facts. We don't base our love on feelings. No, we based our love on our faith. And that we love one another in the way that Jesus first loved us. And so here's how love is described in Song of Solomon. Seven things that love is, according to Song of Solomon. Number one, love is personal. She says, set me as a seal upon your heart. Love is personal. And that day, the seal was the most personal possession that a person could own. It was basically their credit card. It was their social security card. It was their bank card. All of that all rolled up into one. All of a person's life was in their seal. And she says, I want you to love me in a way that our love is sealed personally. This is what love is to be. She's saying that you don't leave home without me emotionally, spiritually, intimately, that we are together with one another anywhere you go. Even if I ain't with you, I want to be on your mind all of the time. Love is personal. It also says this, that love is protective, not only to set me as a seal upon your heart, but also to set me as a seal upon your arm, that when I'm weak, you're strong, that when my heart is hurting, you're bringing healing into my life, that whenever I'm struggling, you're blessing me. Whenever I am, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find my way through the dark, you are the light ahead of me, that you are protective over me. This doesn't just mean a physical protection, but it's also a spiritual protection. Men, oftentimes men are like, I'm the protector, I'm the provider. But your job is not just to protect and provide for them physically, but also to protect and to provide spiritually over your home. It's more than just putting food on the table. It's putting a Bible in their hand and a prayer in their heart and a spiritual covering over that home. That's protective. 
We want to be that way towards our spouse. We want to be protective for them. The next one is to be powerful. Love is as strong as death. There is nothing that can get between you and death. Just so you know, everybody dies. Death is inevitable. Death is irreversible. There is no, ah, one day I was dead and the next day I'm not dead. No, no, no. That's not the way death works. There is nothing that can conquer death. There is nothing that can overcome death. Our day is going to come. And she says that our love is as strong as death. The only thing more powerful that could ever separate us from loving one another is death. This is where we get till death do us part. In the vows, when you get married and you quote the vows for better or for worse, for sickness and health, life and death, it comes from Song of Solomon that death is the only thing that will ever separate us. That's how powerful our love is. It goes on that love is possessive. It's jealousy as fierce as the grave. Now, normally when we hear jealousy, we think that's a bad thing. And there is a bad form of jealousy, but there's also a good form of jealousy and that is priorities. See, whenever Ashley puts the kids above me, guess what? I get a little jealous, just saying. But whenever I put the church before Ashley, guess what? She gets a little bit jealous too because we wanna be possessive of each other's hearts that we're gonna make each other a priority in our lives, that we're not gonna let something come between us, that we're gonna set our heights, set our sights, and set our standards in a way to where we value one another, that we are each other's most prized possessions in life. Love is possessive. It's also passionate. Its flashes are the very flashes, uh, the very flame of the Lord. Love is passionate. That it's not facts, it's not feelings. No, no, it's more than that. The love that we have is the very flame of God. That it's God's passion in us that is making us passionate for one another. That's why in Mark chapter 10, when Jesus is preaching over divorce, he says, do not tear apart what God has put together, that you might be doing things to make your marriage better, but it's God that is making the passion stronger. If you feel like in your marriage, you're at a place where your passion is low, your intimacy is low. If you feel like you're at a place right now where the flame is dying down, let me tell you what, get on fire for Jesus. Watch what he's going to do. You want to get that passion back in your marriage? Get on fire for Jesus and see what God's going to do in your marriage. You want to, you want to see your, that flame get higher? Get the flame of the Lord in the middle of that marriage. And all of a sudden, you're going to be turning the heat up in your marriage. You want your husband to be a hunk of hunk of burning love? Get on fire for Jesus and see what Jesus is going to do in that marriage. This is why it's so important. I've been telling you the whole series. Read your Bible together. Pray together. Go to church together. Because when you do those things, guess what? You're going to get on fire for Jesus. And Jesus is going to set that flame burning in your marriage. It's the very flame of God. It's passionate. It's also persevering. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it out. When the fire of God is burning in your relationship, when God is at the middle of your marriage and it heats everything up, then all of the water in the world can't wash out the flame of the Lord. That you can send the floods, you could send the rains, you could send the dark days, the painful days, you could send the difficult days our way. And all that is, is the water of the world that is just washing over the flames of our marriage. But if that flame is from the Lord, then that flame is going to keep burning. One commentator I read said the illustration here is a combination between the burning bush of Moses and Noah's flood. 
And that at the bottom of the flood is the burning bush of the Lord. And even all of the floods of Noah's ark could not wash away the burning bush of the Lord. That's what your love is supposed to be. That's what marriage is supposed to be. It doesn't mean that you don't quit. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you don't have hard days. It means that you don't quit. It doesn't mean that things aren't difficult. It just means that you don't give up. You don't give up before you give God a chance to make it better. You don't give up before it gets good. You keep persevering. You keep walking. You may be walking with a limp, but don't stop walking because the moment you stop walking is the moment it's going to start hurting more. You keep moving forward. You keep walking. You keep following Jesus. You just keep moving. We do not quit because love is persevering. You just get through it. Whenever you get married, those first years, they're hard, but you just get through it. Do you know, statistically, the most difficult years in a marriage are years one through seven. And then most marriages give up before year seven, and then they get married to somebody else. You know what they do? They repeat the worst years all over again. That's like saying, I hated junior high, dropping out to go back to junior high. Don't give up before you get a chance to actually get good. Don't sell your marriage shorts. Keep moving forward. Keep the passion burning. Keep persevering with one another. And statistically, marriages that are the most satisfied are marriages that have been married 35 years or more. It'll take you 35 years to be happy. (laughs) But you keep persevering with one another. You don't give up. This is the way that the Bible describes love. And lastly, if a man offered all the love, for all the love, the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Number seven, love is priceless. People think love is free. It's not true. Love isn't free. Love will cost you everything. Love is priceless. You can't put a price on love. People say, oh, well, love is free. No, love will cost you everything. Cost you your life. It'll cost you your effort. It will cost you money. It will cost you time. It will cost you energy. It will cost you your devotion. It will cost you yourself. But when you give yourself for someone else and then they give themselves back to you in return, that is love. That's why the song title for today is called Give You My Love. Because love is not something that can be bought. Love is not something that can be taken. Love is not something that can be earned. Love is not something that can be manipulated. Love is so priceless, it can only be received. And this is the way that God loves us. Do you know what this is called? This is called grace. Grace is a free gift that God gives to us. And it was the cost of his priceless son, Jesus that all of this is indicative of the way that God has loved us. That grace is not something that we earn and grace is not something that we achieve, but rather grace is something that we receive. Every Christian should know this verse. Those of you who are watching online, you should know this verse as well. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. God gave us his love in his son, Jesus. And there was nothing beautiful in us There was nothing inside of us that deserved the love of God. There was nothing inside of us that earned the love of God, but yet he still gave it to us freely by giving us his son, Jesus. 
that Jesus would leave heaven and he would enter into this world and he would give himself for us, that Jesus would give the perfect life, the life that none of us could live, that Jesus would give himself as the painful death, substituted himself in our place for the life that we could never earn. And then Jesus rose from the dead and he gave us new life, new hope, new mercy. He gave us a new destiny, a new identity with the new eternity in our hearts. And then Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father where he gives us a promise that every tear one day will be wiped away, that we will have a new kingdom and a new heaven and a new earth with a new body. He will remake everything and he will renew it to the way he always did. And then he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. God himself lives inside of us. And the Holy Spirit, what he does is he gives us conviction. He gives us a purpose. He gives us a reason. He gives us spiritual gifts so we can give back to him. And one day Jesus is going to return. And when Jesus returns, he's going to give us the kingdom of God forever. All God does is give. He gives himself freely for us. And the way that we love our spouse is to love them the way that God has loved us, by giving ourselves to them. See, all of this is indicative of how Jesus loves us, that Jesus' love is personal, that Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with you, that he's not some far off, distant, detached God. No, he is personal. He is close. He is near. He is here with us right now because he is personal. God's love for us through Jesus is protective, that he is protecting us from our sins. He is protecting us even from ourselves. He is protecting us. He's watching over us. He's there for us. He's leading us. He's guiding us. He is protective for us, and his love is powerful. You know, whenever I said that there's nothing that could overcome death, I kind of lied because Jesus overcame death for us. Whenever I said there's nothing that could come between us and death, I kind of lied because the Bible says death is an enemy and that death will be undone because of the love of Jesus. Because that's how powerful Jesus' love is. That Jesus' love conquers death. Jesus' love conquers the grave. Jesus' love conquers Satan, sin, hell, and the works of their effects in your life. He overcomes demonic powers and principalities on your behalf. He is protective over you and he is more powerful than anything you know his love for you. There is no height, there is no depth that could separate you from the love of God. It goes on that his love is possessive, that we have been bought with the price, that there's nothing more costly than the blood of Jesus and that Jesus shed his blood for us in our place and he purchased us back from sin into a relationship with him. That's how possessive his love is for us. His love is passionate. It is the very flashes of the Lord. It is the Holy Spirit inside of us, that it is the Holy Spirit working in us, working through us for his glory and for our good. His love is passionate over us. His love is persevering. Philippians says, he who began a good work in you will see it to completion on that day. That even when you make a mistake, he don't give up on you. Even when you mess up, he don't give up on you. Even when you sin, you ain't got to worry about losing your salvation because he's never going to lose you. He's got a hold of you. He's there for you. He's watching over you. When he says he loves you, he loves you. When he says he saves you, he saves you. When he says he's there for you, he's there for you. When he says I'll change your life, he means it. Because that's the God that we serve. He is persevering. And then lastly, his love for us is priceless. You know, something's only worth the price 
another person's willing to pay. And Jesus is willing to pay his life for you. He laid down his life for you. That's how valuable you are to God. That God would send his only begotten son. He would give himself to us. You know the only thing we have to give to Jesus in return? Our sin. That's all he asks. That sounds like a good trade to me, doesn't it? That he will give us his best and all he asks in return is the worst of us. That he would give us his son and all he would expect in return is our sin. That's a good trade because his love for us is priceless. This is the way that he loves us. And this is the way that in marriage we are to love one another. It is actually very simple. People like to make marriage very complicated. And I'll be honest with you, it's difficult. It could be hard, but it doesn't have to be that way. It could actually be really simple. You can just love them the way that Christ has loved you. Just give your love to them. And then remember these three things. If you think something fun, do it. You know what Jesus did? He accomplished it all for us. If you think something nice, he did that through the Bible and the word of God for us. And then lastly, if you want something different, be it. He is the difference that makes our marriages different. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh,